Thanks, Carol. Good morning, everybody. My name's Tim. I'm the uh, senior minister. Um, yeah. Um, it's good to be with you as we continue our series uh, from Ecclesiastes this morning. Let me start with a quote. I don't know whether you can read that clearly. Everyone has it. No one has enough. Reluctant to discuss it, they think of nothing else. People invested with their own intimate feelings, their rivalries, their triumphs, their frustrations, their ambitions, their resentments. At night it grows into something real, overpowering, enlightening, protective, crushing, a phantasmagorical God. It was a means, it has become an end. Uh, it's a quote from uh, Guy de Rothschild, but what's he, what's he speaking about? He's speaking about money, of course, isn't he? Uh, And that phrase, a phantasmagorical God, uh, captures very powerfully, doesn't it, the the power but also the danger of money. Which is why it's good to hear these words from Ecclesiastes this morning uh, as we continue in our series, Life Within Limits. Um, As we've seen, the book of Ecclesiastes is exploring life under the sun, what life is like in our world, Uh, in our experience and uh, trying to think about how we live wisely under the sun. Um, And we've seen that the teacher who is uh, speaking in this book comes to the conclusion that everything is hevel, that Hebrew word hevel which means smoky vapour. Everything is smoky vapour. There are things that seem solid and seem permanent but they're transitory, they disappear. And things seem like you can grasp hold of them, but in actual fact they're elusive or they're enigmatic. And throughout the book the teacher looks at a series of topics and he really deconstructs them, showing why in fact they are Hevel, why they seem solid, permanent, understandable, but in actual fact they are smoke and vapour. And in this section that we looked at, the main theme is wealth and money. Uh, These things seem solid, they seem reliable, they seem like something you can spend your life pursuing and founding your life upon. They seem like they are in fact gods in which we can trust, but the teacher says they're not. They are hevel, they're smoke and they're vapour and I want to show you why that is. I want to give you some wisdom about money and about wealth so that you might avoid the problem of investing all of your meaning and your purpose in these things. Three problems, which means money is something that you shouldn't trust fully and that you shouldn't give your life to. Uh, So have a look with me at Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 4 and 5 as we unpack these problems. The first uh, danger... Uh, that the teacher draws our attention to, is that if we pursue money and wealth, if that's our focus, if that's what we're after, that's our direction in life, uh, what happens is it actually leads to damaged relationships. So chapter 4, verse 1, again I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors and they have no comforter. In the space of one verse, that word oppression appears three times. Uh, The warning here is that if we're pursuing money, if that's filling our eyes and our vision, 
then in the process of pursuing that, we will end up uh, crushing people who are weaker than us under our feet. People get sacrificed on the altar to this false god of money. Now, in the Bible, uh, oppression is spoken about quite a lot, and oppression really is acting unjustly towards those who are weaker than us, taking what is rightly theirs in order to further our own ends, uh, profiting, I guess, at the expense of other people. Uh, And as this verse outlines, it often involves an abuse of power, uh, financial or otherwise, where the wealthy profit at the expense of the poor, where those with more power profit at the expense of those who are most vulnerable. Uh, In the Bible, it often speaks about the widow, the orphan and the stranger who are the ones who are taken advantage of because they have less power. Uh, In our modern parlance, the word stranger, uh, we could translate as refugee. It's someone who has come from somewhere else who is finding a place but but doesn't belong. They're, They're a stranger. How do we treat those who are most vulnerable? And as the saying goes, often the rich get richer and the poor get poorer because the power and the resources are in the hands of the rich and they often use that as leverage to take advantage of the poor. Now, of course, oppression of the poor is uh, condemned throughout the Bible. Uh, There are numerous verses that we could look at, but uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31, captures it beautifully. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honours God. Because all people are made in God's image, all people are precious to God, made by him in a relationship with him, If we mistreat the poor, then we're insulting the God who made them. We're showing contempt for him because they are the work of his hand. We're treating them as a source of profit and a way for us to get ahead rather than treating them as people made in God's image. I guess the flip side of that verse as well is that when we are kind towards the vulnerable and the needy, then that also honours God because they are his children and caring for him as a way of honouring God. Now, um, I think we're all on board with that. We, we sort of accept that that's true. But the challenge for us in our society is that a lot of the oppression that takes place is hidden from us, isn't it? We live in a global world. We live in a global economy. And uh, lots of the goods that we receive come from far afield. And they're produced under conditions that we don't see and we feel a bit powerless ourselves to control or ignorant about how to get the right information. Uh, in recent years, I think we've become more aware of the fact that, you know, when I go up in the morning and I, you know, I pull out my coffee and I make a coffee or I make a cup of tea, uh, that actually that might have been produced under conditions which were oppressive to the people who were producing that coffee. Similarly with the, the clothes that we pull off the shelf or the electronic devices on which we utterly depend. Um, Sometimes they may have been made under terrible conditions, oppressive conditions, and the danger is that we are somehow contributing to that oppression by buying these things. But it doesn't look like that when you pull the the nice things off the shelf or you order your cheap coffee. We don't think about the end result of how that might have come about. Um, But the trouble is that, see, money drives this, doesn't it? Companies want to produce goods at the cheapest price 
so that they can get the best profit margin. We as consumers want to buy things as cheaply as possible because we want to, have, we want to get ahead, we want to have more money in our pockets so that we can save and so that we can advance ourselves. And so we don't connect the goods that we buy with the oppression that may happen at the other end. We don't always see what's behind it. And this is a problem. This is a problem if our, if our eyes are just on money and advancing ourselves. In the pursuit of doing that, we might actually be oppressing others who are poorer than us. And we actually need to raise our awareness and we need to change the sorts of things that drive um, our purchase. You know, is it just the cheapest price or do we need to be more concerned with the best possible conditions for the people at the other end? Uh, but that's only one part of how we can damage relationships with the pursuit of wealth. We can oppress those who are below us. Uh, but then in chapter 4, verse 4, we read, And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So if we're in danger of oppressing those who are poorer than us, we're also in danger of envying those who have more than us who are wealthier than us or have things that we would love to have for ourselves. I guess you could say this is the danger of trying to keep up with the Joneses, seeing the people around us and, oh gee, I'd like a car like they've got or their house is better than mine. Now, the teacher of Ecclesiastes says this is driven by the problem of envy and it motivates a lot of our work and a lot of our achievement to try and get up to the standard of other people that we see around us. Um, the trouble with, with wealth and the trouble with money is that we often only compare ourselves to those who are better off than us. That's where we set our vision, which is why a lot of us don't consider ourselves wealthy because in our comparisons we compare ourselves to those who have more than us and think, well, I haven't got as much as that person. It's a bit like uh, climbing a ladder. If you're climbing a ladder you're looking up to the rungs above you. Um, I don't know whether you ever look down when you're climbing a ladder. I try and avoid it. Um, but you do. Your, your whole, um, the set of your body, the way that your head is turned, is you, you look at what's above you and you're trying to climb up. And I think it's like that with wealth and money and trying to advance ourselves, that we are looking at those who are above us and we're climbing up to try and reach them. We're envying them and we're competing with them to try and get what they have. Now you can combine the image of oppression with that, that in the process of trying to climb up to get those above us, we often tread on the fingers and the heads of those below us, not even seeing them in the process of setting our vision on chasing after those who are above us. The teacher uh, of Ecclesiastes warns us against this uh, and says um, that this will damage the relationships. If all that we're trying to do is get more for ourselves, we'll be constantly envying other people and climbing up, but we'll be constantly frustrated because there will always be people that little bit higher than us that we need to pursue. There will always be more Joneses to go after. It's a chasing after the wind. You can never fully get there. So there's damage to relationships by oppressing those who are poorer than us, envying those who are above us and wanting what they've got. But there's also another problem of neglecting the people who are around us and so damaging those relationships. So in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, we see a man who is all alone. 
in his dogged pursuit of wealth, with his task-focused hours of slaving away, with his desire to beat off the others who might compete with him, we're told that he's left with neither son nor brother, but he's all alone. And yet he just keeps on working and he's still not content with what he has. And in a moment of realisation in uh, chapter 4, verse 8, he says, For whom am I toiling? Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? What's, what's the point of all this? This has been my goal in life and now here I am all alone, plugging away. Why have I wasted my time doing it? Seems to me a bit like uh, the lyrics of the Harry Chapin song, Cats in the Cradle. I don't know if people are familiar with that. If you're more my vintage, you might be familiar with the Ugly, ugly Kid Joe re-release of that song in 1992. Um, but basically the whole, the whole way the song unfolds is that there is a son who keeps asking his father to spend time with him. He wants to play ball, he wants to do things with Dad, but Dad's too busy, uh, we'll do it later he keeps on saying. And the son accepts the excuses and and at the end of each verse verse yearns to be like you, Dad. I want to be like you. And yet by the end of the song, as the son has grown up and the father is older, the roles are reversed. The dad is retired, wants to spend time with the son, but now the son is too busy with his life and with work. And the song finishes with these lines. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me He'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. Uh, It's often said that um, people on their deathbeds never say, do you know, I just wish I had spent more time at the office. That's what I I really regret having uh, missed out in my life, that I didn't spend enough hours at the office. On the contrary, it's usually the relationships that they look back on and they think, I wish I'd invested more time in these key relationships. And the teacher says, this is a danger. If we're pursuing wealth, if we're pursuing money, if we're idolising these things and trying to get ahead, it damages relationships. We can oppress those below us, we can envy those above us, and we can neglect the people around us that we should be spending time with and investing in. So the problem there of damaged relationships. Yes, but you say, but you see, what I'm really doing is I'm really trying to work hard now so that we can get set up, okay? Uh, Yes, I realise that it is taking a lot of my focus and my time, but once I'm established, once we have enough so that we're kind of set up, then I can back off a little bit and then when we're comfortable, I can invest in the relationships around us and I won't need to Uh, work as hard because we'll have what we need. The teacher of Ecclesiastes says, "Uh uh-uh, nope, that is smoky vapour thinking. Because here's the second problem with wealth. Not only does it damage relationships while you're trying to pursue it, but secondly, you will never have enough. So chapter 5, verse 10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Um, Here's the sort of enigmatic nature of wealth that you can't fully grasp it and it shows why it's such a, a powerful and yet a cruel master. We think 
if I just had that much, then I'd be satisfied. But when we get there, we're not, and we think, no, 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 if I had that much, then I'd be satisfied, we'd be okay, we'd be comfortable, we could take life easy. But because wealth is a false god, it never satisfies the wants and desires that we have. Uh, Barry Humphreys, um, uh, also known as Dame Edna Everidge or Sir Les Patterson, uh, the uh, Australian actor and writer, titled his autobiography, More Please. And there's this wonderful quote in it where he writes, I have always wanted more. I've never had enough milk or money or socks or sex or holidays or first editions or solitude or gramophone records or free meals or real friends or guiltless pleasures or neckties or applause or unquestioning love or persimmons. Of course, I've always had more than my fair share of most of these commodities but it always left me with a vague feeling of unfulfilment. Where was the rest? Uh, as Andrew said to us last week from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, God has set eternity in human hearts. We have eternity in our hearts. And so anything or anyone uh, that is less than God will never satisfy that desire in our heart. If it is eternity that is embedded within us and that we're seeking after, then we'll always be grasping for more and there will always be the devilish thought that if I just had that, then I'd be happy. Chapter 5, verse 11 goes on to say that all that happens actually is that we expand ourselves to consume the new level of wealth that we have attained our expectations merely shift, we set a new normal and then we just set our sights on the next thing. But they don't satisfy. Uh, as chapter 5 verse 11 powerfully says, we feast our eyes on these things but they don't fill us up. There's no benefit to us. So it damages relationships while we're pursuing wealth and money if we set our eyes solely on that. It doesn't actually satisfy us when we get what we're chasing after. But then the third problem, sort of the final punch landed by the teacher here, is that you're going to lose it all anyway. This is in chapter 5, verses 13 to 15, a few verses beyond where we read. Um, the teacher says, holding on to wealth is not guaranteed even in the short term. He describes a, a grievous evil here where someone hoards their wealth, but then they, they lose it through some misfortune. Who knows what it is? A fall in the stock market, fraud, a foolish business decision, theft. It could be any number of things where wealth slips through our fingers and everything that we'd been chasing anyway is lost. But even if we don't experience that sort of short-term loss of the money that we've been accumulating and acquiring we still lose it anyway, even if everything goes smoothly for us in this lifetime. Verse 14. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry 
in their hands. That last line is worth noting, isn't it? You can take nothing with you that you carry in your hand. It doesn't mean that we take nothing with us when we die, but we take nothing with us that we can carry in our hands. So there are things that are permanent. The character that we develop and display through our lifetime matters and lasts. Our investment in spiritual things, our relationship with God and with other people matters. But wealth is not one of those permanent things. We can't take any of it with us when we go. I'm reminded here of Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 12 where he speaks about a farmer who has a bumper harvest and he thinks to himself, fantastic, I'll knock down my small barns, I'll build bigger barns so that I can store it all and then I can take life easy, I can eat, I can drink, I can be merry. And God says, you're a fool. Tonight you're going to die and all of that stockpile will be useless to you. And Jesus concludes the story by saying, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. There are things that are permanent. There are things that are worth investing in and things that last. There are things that are not smoky vapour but wealth and money isn't one of those things. Instead, we need to focus on eternal things, on the work of God, on developing our character as the people of God and on investing in relationships with the people around us. Now, often when we read the book of Ecclesiastes, and this sort of section is is no different, it can feel pretty negative, can't it? It kind of depresses us and we think, what's the value in anything? Is everything absolutely worthless? But that's not the message of Ecclesiastes and it's not the message of this section. What the teacher is trying to warn us about is um, he's warning us not to invest ultimate meaning in things that are not ultimate. He's warning us about treating smoky vapour as if it's solid stuff and trying to build your life upon it. He's warning us about making idols out of things that are not the true God. Don't do that with wealth and with money, the teacher says put it in its rightful place. And really the best answer in terms of a positive we get through this section is in chapter 4, verse 5. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. So the teacher says, don't be lazy. Don't be a fool who just folds your hands, does nothing, like the answer is not a total rejection of thinking um, we don't need any money, I don't need anything, I don't need to work. Um, that's foolishness, he says. But he also says don't be greedy, don't be trying to fill both your hands up and just going after more and more and exhausting yourself in more labour and more toil just to have both hands full. In that beautiful expression, he says what you should be aiming for is one handful with tranquility enough to live on and the tranquility, peace, satisfaction, contentment that comes with having what you need but not continually striving after what you might want and accepting what you need. That whole idea of of contentment as a key theme uh, comes through the Bible. 
that balance between not doing nothing but not striving for everything is really important. So in the book of Proverbs, uh, the writer there asks God for neither poverty nor riches. In the Lord's Prayer, you know, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, we ask God to give us our daily bread. We don't ask for a stockpile of cake. We ask for the bread that we need for today. Give me what I need for today, Lord. I don't need more than that. And in a very powerful echo of this passage, we read the following words in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Godliness with contentment. Being content with what we have rather than continually striving for more. And if we can develop that attitude of godly contentment, then that will protect us and guard us against these three problems that the teacher of Ecclesiastes warns us against. Now it's easy to say that, to be content, to seek godliness with contentment, to have that one handful with tranquility, but it's incredibly difficult, isn't it? In our modern world, we are constantly being advertised at. And the key strategy of advertisers is to make you feel discontented. They want you to be dissatisfied, discontented and seeking for more so that you'll buy their products. So we live in this culture where we're being made to feel discontent and being told to be dissatisfied and to chase after more. And we really need to work hard to counter that culture and to not buy into the lie. We need to be aware of these three dangers that the teacher of Ecclesiastes gives us so that we don't buy into this pattern of treating wealth as an idol. And I think a practical remedy, if we're going to get practical and think about how do we, how do, we do this, how do we try and counter the culture um, around us in our own lives, I, I think what we need to do is we need to build a discipline of thankfulness into our lives, to find ways to build in ways of, of gratitude and thankfulness for what we do have rather than bemoaning the fact that we don't have that or this. So thanking God continually for what we do have, for the food that is sitting on our tables that is giving us something to eat today, for the house that shelters us for the clothes that we have which keep us warm, for the good health and the good health care that we have, actually naming these things and building it into our daily lives as a discipline to thank God and to recognise that all of these things are gracious gifts from God, that we're thankful for them and that we recognise that not everyone has them in the abundance that we have them in. To guard against pining after all of the things that we could have, we might have, we'd like to have, but focusing on what we already do have and being thankful for it. 
Godliness with contentment, recognising that one hand is full and that's enough. We want the tranquility and peace and contentment that comes from that and to be nurturing it in our lives rather than chasing after smoke, smoky vapour, uh, the phantasmagorical God, the idol that is wealth with all the problems that come with it. So let's commit ourselves to God and ask for his help in this task. Our Heavenly Father, we do recognise the problem and we are thankful for your word and particularly for the teacher of Ecclesiastes who draws this to our attention and highlights uh, the smoky vapour of wealth and money. Help us not to try and build our lives on it. Help us not to be sucked in by the culture in which we live. Help us not to be uh, sucked in and so be discontented with all the things that we don't have. But we ask that by your Holy Spirit you would build into us a gratitude, a thankfulness, a contentedness with what you have already given us and being satisfied with these things and coming to you in thankfulness for them. Please guard us, we pray, from damaging relationships around us. Please guard us from uh, dissatisfaction and always wanting more. And please remind us uh, that uh, these things will not ultimately last, but that there are things in the Lord Jesus Christ which do last and which last into eternity and help us to focus our energy and attention on these in Jesus' name. Amen.